0: Welcome to episode 172 of Cinematary. I'm your host, Zach Dennis, and I am here with...
1: Diana Rogers. And Andrea Aswahe.
0: And in today's episode, we'll be talking about movies we saw this week. In part one, and in part two, we will be continuing our series on The Archers with 1948's The Red Shoes. Uh, we will not be dancing. We will just be talking about it. We <laughs> should, that should That would be a nice video component, though.
1: I agree. Um, I maybe, agree. Yeah.
0: Maybe next time we'll do, we'll do another ballet movie. <laughs> um, all right, well, let's jump into movies that we saw this week. Um, Andrea, I'm going to start with you. Cause I'm curious to hear your thoughts on a new release, um, which we talked about, we talked about this one a couple episodes ago, but it was much more negative. And I, and you said that you're much more positive on this movie. So tell us a little bit about the killing of a sacred deer.
1: Yeah, I'm really surprised to hear, um, that you guys had such a negative reaction to it. I actually really liked it. Um so I really like Yorgos Lanthimos. Like I love Dogtooth. I love that movie. Um so yeah, it's kind of a weird thing to say about a movie like Dogtooth because it is such a bizarro movie, but I actually just really like his style. Um I found it like I um I did think it was Graphic at some points um but not i didn't think it was particularly excessive um maybe i just have a really high tolerance for that i'm not really sure what that says about me um but <laughs> but i actually just found it to be really interesting i loved the acting by um nicole kidman i thought she was excellent in this movie to be um, fair
0: you could you can say that any time about anything a movie. she's yeah.
1: ever done. Agreed, <laughs> agreed. She's she's just excellent. Um, I really like that he continues to work with Colin Farrell. I think that he does really well in these, um, strange roles of of these um kind of detached men who have to make these very deep life changing choices. Um, I think it's an interesting role for him now when we look back at his kind of filmography for him to end up at this, at this, um, working with this, uh, fascinating director. Um, I thought the cinematography was really beautiful. I think the story was interesting. Um, I I liked it. I, I think it's not, um, it's it it hasn't over you know overthrown dog tooth as as my favorite but I liked it more than I liked the lobster. Um the lobster I think was really quirky but um this this just had a different feel about it. It was unnerving. Um and it I don't know I think I think what made it unnerving was that it had that overarching um absurdity. But not the same way that it had with the lobster, which was just like so beyond anything we could think of, like people turning into animals. This was something that maybe at some point we could possibly have to face something like a horrible life choice. So I think it was a little bit maybe unnerving because it's possible.
0: Well, I was just going to I know because uh, Andrew talked about this a few weeks ago and. Uh, I don't know. I, I don't want to quote him or anything because I can't remember, you know, ex- distinctly what he said o- about the movie. But I know he was much more, he, 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 you know, just the the like you like you mentioned. It's a it's a pretty it's a pretty you know violent gruesome movie. I haven't seen it, but. It seems like, when especially with the track record from Yorgos Lanthimos, uh, you know, with Dogtooth and Alps and and the even that you know at times in the Lobster, he he they, he has this very vicious yeah, uh, oh, yeah. comedic streak you know <laughs> with him. So I mean I don't know what what for you you know is there there is there, does it kind of trying to figure out the best way to phrase it like is there a, does the, does the movie's plot and in, in these characters actions kind of justify the the gruesomeness or is it just there to be provocative
1: see here's the thing i wouldn't describe it as gruesome i would describe it as violent and graphic but gruesome i think of like a slasher movie some or you know a Dario Argento, which is just like blood, buckets of blood everywhere, kind of thing. Um, but I, I did not think it was gruesome. I thought that the like similar to Dogtooth, that it's, um, it's almost like he has this fascination with, like almost. <laughs> Like the redness of blood and how graphic it looks compared to the re- the rest of the tones and the color tones in the movie, and so they stand out more. So maybe that's what makes it um, more graphic than maybe it probably would be if everything was kind of the same color like shades. Um, but I I didn't think that I think that the the plot follows exactly like it the the blood and the Violence that is attached to it. I think it follows directly what the plot would be, and I I didn't see it was out of place with his directoral or cinema like like style, basically. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. that's so, fair. I, yeah. I th- yeah no, I th- I think that that's 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 a good point because he's it's not like it's coming out of left field. You know, it's it, it's yeah. not like we have the you know. I'm trying to think of, you know, a good example like, you know, Wes Anderson just having a movie yeah. and somebody's, you know, head being just chopped, you know, Bill Murray's head being chopped off in the middle of a right. movie or something. It's 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 at least there's a pattern of you're going to see kind of a little bit of a shock violence, you know, moment in his movies judging mm-hmm. from the rest of uh the other ones. Um But yeah, I right. mean, would you would you recommend Killing of a Sacred Deer to to people? I think it's it's much like Dogtooth and the Lobster. It's probably you have to it's kind not of for have everyone. some reservations. Yeah, you have to have some reservations. But I mean, to an extent, yeah. if, if people are kind of into this, would they enjoy this one?
1: Yeah, I would recommend it. Um I think that you need to go into it knowing that it is not your typical, you know, it's not it's not a date movie, you know? It's not it's not a, you know, chill Sunday afternoon documentary kind of movie. But, um, I think it's something that you can go into and observe and really just like if you enjoy other Lanthimos movies, I think you will enjoy this one. Um, that's why I'm surprised that Andrew didn't like it because I think it's very much in his same style. Um, and I, I also think it's, um, I, I like the way that he tries to upend. Or show different types of families, and um, I think that's kind of one of his styles. And so, when a family is faced with something, how will they react? Um, so I, I actually, yeah, I would recommend it. Is it a family movie? No, but it's. I think. I think it's. Um. I think if you're interested in kind of like art house films, and you have, you know you go into it with expectations, knowing that this isn't going to be your average kind of indie movie. Um, I think you'll be fine. I think, I think you'll at least it'll make you think. So just about like, well, what would I do in that situation? I think that's the biggest thing that I walked away from is that, you know, if this were me and my family, what, what would I do? and i think that's an interesting thing to walk away from with from a movie especially nowadays when we're like bombarded with like sequels and you know it's something we don't often do when we walk out of movies
0: that's fair yeah um one last before we move on have you seen um uh michael haneke any of his either of his funny games movies i feel like that's kind of a similar just yeah. kind of violent gruesome uh T- topic that's dealing with kind of a family having to to react had, to a, I had a friend absurd at work situation. Actually,
2: tell me that. Yeah, I had a friend at work tell me who had seen this, and he said, "If you like Haneke's stuff, then you should probably go see this." And that's I,
1: interesting. Yeah, and
2: I was like, "I do like Haneke's stuff a lot."
1: Like, yeah, I actually didn't. Yeah, I have seen Funny Games, and I for some reason this is the first time like I am making that connection. But yeah, um, if you like yeah, if you like something like funny games, I think that, yeah, I think this is a movie for you. Okay.
0: Yeah. That's, that's, that's just, I, that's another one. I haven't seen that one, but I kind of, I know the plot of it in that I feel like those kind of, uh, go together, but okay, cool. Uh, killing of a sacred deer. I think that's still in theaters for some people, if you would like to see it. Um, but moving on, this is, I guess, technically a movie that came out in 2017. I think it says it's a 2016 release internationally, but that is the movie Raw. Um, we have a review on Cinematary from Jessica Carr if you'd like to read that. Uh, I caught it this past week, though. It was on Netflix. I've heard people talk about it um, as one of their favorites of the year. It comes from this from writer-director Julia DeCornal, uh, who... And it stars a number of French actors whose names I'm not going to go after. Um, (laughs) I mean, it's not like we're gonna. It's not like I feel like somebody's going to go instantly recognize it or something. It's not like Isabelle Huppert or somebody. You know, it's 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 relatively unknown French actors. Um, But yeah, it it tells the story of this uh, this girl who is heading off to veterinarian school which that's a whole other subject that we can get into while talking about this movie is just veterinarian school in France um <laughs> but she is she is a uh, she's a, ve- a vegetarian um but uh, is forced during kind of the initiations of veteran uh, veterinary school to taste meat for the first time and she begins to uh develop a uh, keen sense for it um I guess you know quote quote that she's a she she realizes she's kind of a cannibal you know as, as, as happens when you have meat for the first time I guess I don't know I've never you know, I didn't have college, that experience it's
1: college Zach alright you're finding yourself that's true mm-hmm. that's
0: true yeah you know people are trying different things you know some you know, some, some are, are you know exploring their gender some are exploring whether or not they're a cannibal I. you know we've all been there it's fine um <laughs> But no, this one—it's—it's—it's. It's, it's, um, I don't know. i i i, I like this movie. I thought the directing, the, the the direction of it was 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 interesting. I thought that there was a lot of really powerful sequences in, in the way that, she, that, uh, that that De Cornell kind of framed it and in, and in, 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 in created tension through sequences. You know, some scenes it was very reminiscent of. You know you're... A a lot of the great thrillers from you know Alfred Hitchcock and and so on, you know she she did uh, even even the early kind of Spielberg you know Spielbergian where it was she she led you on and kind of forced you to uh, try to come up with all the pieces only to have something kind of pulled out um, from under you. Uh, But yeah, I I wasn't over. I didn't. I, I didn't love the movie I I kind of had a, a, some questions on a you know a lot of the characters um I'm gonna I'm gonna call back to Andrew as we called him out on the first uh, during the first <laughs> the first uh, part of the of the of, of this episode and and read something from his review of raw when he saw it because I kind of was I kind of agreed with the same thing he said does it count as a cannibalism story if the characters aren't fully human? And I kind of agreed with that. Like I like I, 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 I thought the main character was was she, I thought she was she was fine. The, the kind of main characters you follow is the is, is the girl who's kind of learning that she has these cannibalistic tendencies. You have this friend that she makes early on in school. You also have her older sister who's been going there for a year or so, who kind of is is, is a part of the upperclassmen and um i feel like a lot of the action is is kind of revolving around them and i don't know i i just i i i I just didn't feel like there was much you know distinct about a lot about these characters who we were supposed to be kind of following and and growing growing accustomed to you know it, it seemed like the defining quality for our main character mainly is that you, you're you only kind of compelled to her because at any point she's trying to bite somebody's flesh off and that's kind of... She might- yeah, yeah she might- and so that's kind of it. That's right. kind of interesting like that. But I don't know. To me, I was thinking about it after I watched the movie. Um, I thought that the most of the beginning of the movie when like you have this, like a lot of the beginning of the movie is her, is, is her as part of like, I guess, you know, freshmen who are being initiated into this veterinary school. And they have this like, inc- like this insane ritual. uh,
2: Like, like Brian De Palma directed.
0: Exactly. Yeah. Like,
2: what it's, it's just
0: insane. Yeah. Like, like the first time <laughs> you, you're introduced to it, they have the, uh, they're like all in their dormitories and they hear like this banging or whatever outside. And then all the upperclassmen are, are running into the rooms and grabbing the students out and throwing their mattresses out the window and tossing their clothes everywhere. It's like this like very chaotic kind of terrifying sequence of events. And then they sit and they take them all downstairs to some rave, which I don't know why it was, you have that and then they're also dumping blood on them and doing all, there's just all this stuff that's happening that, I was kind of like, I don't know who, like what happens in real French veterinary school, but if this is the case, how are there any vets in France?
2: I have a feeling it's not that.
0: I'm like... sure it's not, but I, at the same time, I don't,
1: I mean, that was my initiation at the university of Florida, but you know, I guess to each their own.
0: That's true. That's it's really, really the, the Gainesville, Florida is pretty much the France of, of the United <laughs> States. So it's a similar, it's a similar thing. Um, but yeah, I I, I I thought I kind of felt like you could have, I don't know, maybe I was much more interested in the dynamic between the main character and her sister, her older sister, who who I guess you know, spoiler tag, has the same urges that that her that her younger sister has, and it it almost becomes this kind of you know like. Uh, for lack of a better term, like superhero, supervillain origin story, where she's kind of showing her the ropes of how to handle that urge. And and the younger sister is kind of reticent to accept that and, and kind of, you know, pushes off on, on, on doing that. And I don't know, to me, I found that much that, that dynamic much more compelling of them kind of figuring out how to handle this, this new discovery about themselves, rather than the um you know what's what's going on with her that kind of happens at the you know for for most of the first probably hour and in 15 minutes um i found the last 30 minutes to be much more compelling and then it kind of ends and i wanted more of that 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 time with the two sisters i thought that was that, that was really interesting if we could and if we could have had more of them uh you know dealing with that I, I it just didn't feel like it had really any thematic weight once we hit the 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 final ending like it like when w- when what happens happens at the end you kind of uh, felt like that was gonna happen and it really yeah, just didn't yeah. it really just didn't sit with me as as much as I felt like it was wanting to um Diana, I mean, d- d- maybe am I off you know what what did you think of Ross
2: no I mean I th- I think you're ro- spot on about the relationship between the two sisters I mean that's that's kind of the heart of the story and the rest of it like what I liked about it is that it's just so like visceral and kind of overwhelming and for you know that's that's a good or a bad thing depending on I, I, I was very uh, captivated by it but I can see like I can see what you're
1: saying.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: it, it just,
0: it, it, it just, to me, it just, Cur- oh, go ahead.
1: No, I, I'm curious just because I haven't seen it, but I've been wanting, it's like, I've been wanting to see this movie. Um, So hearing you guys talk about it, you know, it's, I want to, is there like a, a greater metaphor here about, you know, sexuality or, um, even, you know, like, eating and disorders
0: and uh, I would I would recommend then, I'm gonna, you know as a for a self promotion for cemetery I would recommend reading Jessica's review on cemetery.com she talks about raw being this uh metaphor for addiction um and I and I I kind of had you know I'd read that whenever she had put it up early on and so I had that a little bit in my mind while I was watching it and I was like yeah I could I I definitely see that and I think that there is this you know she talks about how the, the you know the progression of the story is is about somebody who becomes hooked on something and then it, it you know it, it how it difficult it is to kind of shake that uh-huh. that you know fascination that obsession with whatever that person you know is hooked on and i think that that's very true and that in the movie does succeed in that but uh, I, I yeah it just it kind of again i just i, I didn't find it it just didn't compel me until whenever these these the two sisters kind of began interacting mm-hmm. regularly and that just happened way too late in the movie um so it's kind it, of it's just kind like of t- lost kind of, in the metaphor yeah it, it just it's kind of waddling around with the 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 intro to the school and to the whole cannibalism plot and it does that for a, like it's about you know the movie's about an hour and 40 minutes it does that for like an hour and so then the last 40 minutes is mm-hmm. the is the interesting part and i kind of wanted that to be the longer part and the other part to be the shorter part but mm-hmm. i I, mm-hmm. I still i think it's i think it's a I, I still like the movie um you know we we talked about trouble every day in october for october horror um and yeah they're, they're,
2: these and they and there it- and in this one too, there is like a, like a sexual component yes. definitely to, like the, which was very much like trouble every day. I mean, just like and but that ties into like addiction. I mean, it's like this, yeah, craving to just kind of consume people that you well it want it to. See, yeah, it that. seemed
0: like it was like I, I guess the parallel would be more of a like a sex addiction than you know alcohol or drugs or anything like that. It seemed. Yeah, like it like her her addiction and what she's dealing with is much more physical than than something that it seems like she's putting on herself. It seems like, you know, uh, there's a lot of physicality when she's um, you know, exerting yes. exerting these urges that you can kind of. And I thought the actress does a great job of you can you just can feel the like the uh everything just churning inside of her as she's like struggling.
2: Oh yeah.
0: Um oh she yeah. does a she does she Definitely. does a fantastic job but uh yeah I, I I mean if I think if you're if you're interested raw it's on Netflix now so you can you can check it out yeah. I think I think it has enough merits that it's it's worth exploring I think that some people will will really latch on to it um I don't know I like I liked it well enough but i I really wasn't all that all that blown away by it uh, <laughs> Yeah, Uh, like it was it was fine. Mainly my takeaway was I really, really, really don't want to go to French veterinary school.
2: (laughs) No, absolutely
0: not. Real quickly, I want to talk about one other movie. Uh, I caught this on Filmstruck. I think it was leaving at the end of the month, so I wanted to jump on it before. It left. Uh, it is one of the early films of Peter Bogdanovich, the last picture show. It came out in 1971, and it follows these these group of high schoolers in West Texas in 1951. Uh, and it, it was the one of the the breakout role for Jeff Bridges. He was nominated for an Oscar for his role. Um, it also stars Timothy Bottoms, uh, Sybil Shepard, Cloris Leachman, Ellen Bernstein. Who Ellen Bernstein should have been in this movie a lot more because she like shows up and is you know like A plus goddess Ellen Bernstein. She should be in so many movies, right? and, and much more. And she's she's, she's so awesome. she's so good in this, but I don't think she gets she only has like a couple scenes. It's kind of a, it's kind of a bummer. Um but yeah, it's it's kind of this wandering uh you know, small town Texas epic of of you know, you follow the you 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 follow these characters, the you, you know, specifically the Timothy Bottoms, Jeff Bridges and Uh, civil shepherds characters as they kind of float through you know their their senior year of high school into uh you know post high school adulthood in this in this town where i think that bogdanovich does a great job of of really setting in the isolation of it he he has a lot of shots that are just kind of these empty streets um he opens and closes with the with a shot of the uh, of the movie theater and, and kind of at first it has these bright it has these bright lights in in the marquee and then it ends with it being kind of just desolate, um, and yeah I, I think it's this I I really I want it's one of those movies that I definitely want to watch I need to watch multiple times because um, I think it's tough to really grasp all the all that it's trying to say to you in one viewing, I think that you kind of need to get a watch it once, get a basic understanding of the characters and the plot and where it's kind of going. And then you can kind of just sit back and really experience it's, uh, it's vastness. It's just this, this, this kind of large, sad, (laughs) sad story about, (laughs) about kind of just the decay of, of, of character in in not just small town America but just America in general the the plot a lot you know deals with this the, this kind of uh fam- local famed character Sam the Lion he owns a number of the stores he kind of is this this central figure in really everybody in the town's life and uh it it seems like kind of a, a lot of the a lot of what what is right and wrong is filtered through him um you have this this scene where uh he he i don't know if it was his son or if it was just kind of a a boy he looked after, but there was a a a, a mute boy who um oh, God, yeah. who who kind of who 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 sam kind of looks after. And the you know the group of guys take him out and and introduce him to a prostitute and try to force him to to you know be with her so that he can lose his virginity and uh, you know Sam casts him off after that uh, and and I really I was really moved by the performance of Timothy Bottoms as the this kind of lead character he he just has this innocence in his face and just the, sam was this character who he looked up to and, and when that scene happens and he, and he's kind of cast away from this uh this 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 kind of you know base that he's known all of you know all of his life the, you know a lot of the a lot of the places that he's visiting every day it's just it's just so heartbreaking and and once they're able to kind of somewhat repair the relationship it, it really does have this uh I don't know, it, it works so effectively. Um, but yeah, I would I would recommend if you know the last picture show. I think that it, oh, it's yeah. it's just this very strong uh, you know new Hollywood movie that I'm not I, I'm not saying that it's it's a forgotten. It's definitely not a forgotten movie, but I think that it's one that um, it's one of those movies that you watch that this was a you know this came out in the in the late '70s and uh, or in the in the in the, in the late half of 1971 and was you know would be characterized as kind of somewhat of a mainstream movie in movie theaters um so it's kind of funny just thinking like like now you go to the theater and like that was main yeah like the like the mainstream movie right now is like coco and thor ragnarok and in, hey, 19... I see yeah, in 1971, <laughs> it was the last picture show. That's just, I think that's, it's. The,
2: Clor- the Cloris Leishman performance in it is absolutely yes. fantastic and heartbreaking too. Yeah. I-, I watched it for the second time of, uh, about a year ago. And that was the storyline that really resonated for me was like, she's just, oh. Yeah. It's just so sad. I, I you know so fantastic so,
0: so. I, I i've been watching a lot of uh yasuhiro ozu movies this past year and i i i felt a lot of connections to like his the stories that he tells in his movies with with the cloris leachman storyline where it was just this kind uh-huh. this very this very sad um you know very very real performance out of her and it was this story that um you know just seemed so there was just this tragedy this this tragedy to it and she was such a, a sympathetic character like you you understood her yeah. motivations you understood the frustrations that she had and it doesn't it didn't seem like e- you know either of the characters involved in that plot were were you know trying to be malicious to the other person but there was just uh. there was just so much you know, there was just so much emotion happening that it was it, it, that's what that was was sad and i i loved her scene you know later in the movie when she like you know yell you know just kind of yell break down breaks down and yells at him it's it, it's just it i, I thought yeah. she really just yeah. owns that sequence um the last picture show it yeah. was on filmstruck but i believe you can go to the local library or such if you would like to check it out
1: if I could just say one thing, I haven't seen The Last Picture Show, but we recently on the show that I produce um, Under the Radar with Callie Crossley, <laughs> um, we had Charles Taylor, who's a film critic and um, essayist. And he talked about his latest book called Opening Wednesday at a theater or drive in near you. Um, and it's about what's like known now as like the shadow cinema of the 70s. And this is like precisely Um, what he talked about in the book and he talks about a a ton of movies I think it's like 12 movies in there and they're kind of um, exploring how the movies of the 70s were so revolutionary to American cinema and everything you just explained this like melancholic gritty dirty um kind of just, like, no nice resolution at the end um, is such a staple of the, like, the films of the 70s. And if you're, like, into that, I would highly recommend this book um, because it is really fabulously written and it's just fascinating to learn about these movies and how much, like we were saying, how much cinema has changed um, between, you know, in the first half of the century compared to, like, this particular Decade and then how it affected us going forward and how unique that decade really is.
0: Yeah, very cool. Yeah, no, I'll definitely add that to the list because yeah, I I I really enjoyed this movie uh, a lot. Um, all right, well, we have a, a couple more minutes before we wrap up. Uh, Diana, I'm gonna let you talk about Animal House because you seem like the prime person for Animal House. You, we, I, I've I've noticed you to be very fratty. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> <laughs>
2: But, like, underdog fratty. I like... Underdog uh, fratty. Misfits. I I like... I mean, I like a good misfit story. And I definitely appreciated their kind of... uh, The kind of shambolic sort of quality of their frat house. And um, them sort of wanting to take on the establishment and mess them up at the end, which I liked. Yeah. I mainly just really dug Belushi in it. I mean... Yeah, he's great. He's <laughs> he does great. great. Like, <laughs> every single... I mean, th- he just steals the movie, obviously. Like, it's just fantastic. And, I mean, I like... Uh, you know, I like a good 80s movie. I mean, it it it's reminiscent of a lot of other things. Fast Times at Ridgemont High and... Uh, yeah. A lot of other things that i can't think of off the top of my head uh but vacation uh
0: vacation you know, stripes yeah. yeah caddyshack those kinds of yeah 80s caddyshack collies. definitely
2: mm-hmm. yeah 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 i i but, i
0: I, uh, I do i do agree on on belushi he, like it's kind of it's kind of crazy watching you know anything with him in it especially this but even like old snl clips or whatever because there's just, oh, yeah. uh, you know, I think Chris Farley was somewhat the same way, but it, it just they're such presences. Like, like yeah. whenever whenever he's on screen, like he, you immediately are drawn to him, and it's not, <laughs> you're it's not, not paying necessarily attention to what
2: anybody else is doing.
0: Exactly, yeah. and it's not like he's doing something specifically. He's generally doing something, but sometimes it's just you're you just immediately go to him for some. You like that's just who you look at because he just has this aura to him that's just so yeah. unique and unlike anybody else.
2: Yeah, yeah. So, that that's that's pretty much my. Those are pretty much my thoughts
0: on animal. House. No, that's fine. I, it's it, it's funny. I don't think I I I was telling you uh, off mic, but I don't think I've ever watched this movie from like beginning to end. So I'd be curious to do that. I've I've just seen you know, I've seen it pieced together on like Comedy Central and TBS and and HBO and stuff like that.
1: Yeah, I've, well, I've, I've think... seen it way too many times. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Um, All right, well, Animal House. I'm sure that's not a difficult movie to find if you're looking to find it. Um, But yeah, we're going to take a short break. We will be back in part two talking about The Red Shoes. So stick around. Hello, Cinematary listeners. This is Zach Dennis with an important message because I have not talked to you enough during this episode. Uh, Cinematary would like you to know that... We do not want your money. We're not clamoring for your dollars. At this time, we just want to enjoy each other's company and talk about the movies and feel our, you know, distribute our thoughts to the world and become podcasting moguls. You know, simple stuff. No money involved. Uh, However, there are a few things that you could do to help out the show. We would really appreciate it. The first thing is review us on iTunes. I know literally every podcast asks you this. They're like, please review us on iTunes. But it's like important because I don't know iTunes. This is what they do. This is how this is how the app. lords constrict us and keep us in their system that's just what happens so we need a nice little review just take like two minutes one day be like this is podcast review time Put us on the list. Uh, secondly, you can tweet us. We're at Cinematary on Twitter. Or better yet, send us an email. We're cinematary at yahoo.com so we can hear from you. If you're just like Zach, uh, you, you have terrible taste. Why do you keep talking about these superhero movies? Uh, you keep talking. Also, you keep talking about these Japanese movies where all they do is, is is drink sake and smoke cigarettes and talk about how life's awful. And I'll be like, yeah, what you're wrong. And you'll be like, yeah, but I'm just emailing you. And it'll be a whole thing. It'll be a nice discourse. Think about it. Um, and finally please tell your friends and family you know they should know as well i'm sure they like movies i'm sure they like podcasts we don't know uh to recap review on itunes itunes review day do that secondly send your thoughts twitter email one of those do it third share with your friends and family we would love it do it please thank you now let's get back to the show We are back with part two of episode 172 of Cinematary. In this part, we will be continuing our series on the Archers with 1948's The Red Shoes. And tonight, Zach will not be dancing the dance of the Red Shoes. Um, for any Birdcage fans out there. Uh, the Red Shoes, it stars Maura Shearer, uh, Anton Woolbrook from uh, Colonel Blimp, and Maris Goring from A Matter of Life and Death. And it's about a ballerina who joins an established ballet company and becomes the lead dancer in a new ballet called The Red Shoes, itself based on the fairy tale The Red Shoes by Hans Christian Andersen. Uh, the ballet ref- roughly follows the Hans Christian Andersen story, upon which it is based. A young woman se- uh, In that story, a young woman sees a pair of red shoes in a shop window, which are offered to her by the demonic shoemaker. She puts them on and begins to dance with her boyfriend. They go to a carnival where she seemingly forgets about the boyfriend as she dances with every man she comes across. Her boyfriend is carried away, and nothing is left of him but his image on a piece of cellophane, which she tramples. She attempts to return home to her mother, but the red shoes controlled by the shoemaker keep her dancing. She falls into a world where she dances with a piece of newspaper, which turns briefly into her boyfriend again. She is then beset by grotesque creatures, including the shoemaker, who converge upon her in a manner reminiscent of the Rite of Spring. They abruptly disappear, leaving her alone. No matter where she flees, the shoes refuse to stop dancing. Near death from exhaustion, clothed in rags, she finds herself in front of a church where a funeral is in progress. The priest offers to help her. She motions to him to remove the shoes, and as he does, so she dies. He carries her into the church, and the shoemaker retrieves the shoes to be offered to his next victim. Uh, Australian ballet st- uh, star Robert Helpman choreographed this ba- the ballet for the film and played the role of the lead dancer of the uh, of the uh, ballet Lermontov, and danced the part of the boyfriend. Leonide Massine created his own choreography for his role as the shoemaker. Brian Easdale composed the original music for the film, including the full ballet of The Red Shoes. Easdale conducted most of the music in the film, except for the ballet of The Red Shoes, where Sir Thomas Beecham, conducted the score, and received prominent screen credit. Beecham's Royal Philharmonic Orchestra was the featured orchestra for the film. Uh, Easdale received the 1948 Academy Award, though, for Best Original Score, the first British film composer honored with that title. Uh, Pressburger originally wrote the screenplay for Alexander Korda as a vehicle for Korda's future wife, wife, Merle Orberon. After some years had passed without the film being made, Powell and Pressburger rewrote the screenplay, including more emphasis on dancing, and produced it themselves. Powell and Pressburger decided early on that they had to use dancers who could act rather than the actors who could dance a bit to create a realistic feeling of a ballet company at work and to be able to include a 15-minute ballet as the high point of the film. They created their own ballet company using many dancers from the Royal Ballet. The principal dancers, again, were Heltman, who choreographed, Massine, who choreographed his role, Chit- uh Chatarina and Mora Uh The role of Boris Lermatov, played by Anton Woolbrook, was inspired in part by Sergei uh, Diaghilev, the impresario who founded the ballets Russes. Although there were also aspects about him, there were also aspects about him drawn from the personalities of producer J. Arthur Rank and even director Michael Powell himself.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: The particular episode in Di- uh, Diaghilev's Life that is said to have been in, have inspired the characterization is his seeing the fourteen-year-old Diana Gould partnering Frederick Ashton in the premiere of his first ballet Lita and Swan. On the basis of this, Diaghilev invited her to join his company, but he died before that plan could come about. One point of discussion with, with respect to plot inconsistency in the film's story comes near the end of the film, where Vicky jumps when Vicky jumps off the balcony and she is wearing the same red shoes she wears in the ballet we see her wearing them as she is preparing in her dressing room for the opening of the revival of the red shoes before the confrontation between julian and lermatov despite the fact that in the performance her character does not put on put them on until partway through the ballet powell and pressburger themselves discussed the situation and has been much discussed since powell decided that it was artistically right for vicky to be wearing the red shoes at that point because if she is not wearing them it takes away the ambiguity over why she died in terms of strict plot mechanics one other rationalization is that vicky is warming up a fresh pair of red shoes for the performance uh, it, was o- it was only after he made the studio executives watch The Red Shoes a few times that Gene Kelly was able to include ballet in An American in Paris. A little fun fact. Uh, after the film became a huge success in the U.S., MGM began plans to make a film actually titled Red Shoes Run Faster with red-haired dancer Lucille Brimmer, but quickly scrapped the idea Uh, In 1948, the New York Times said, Much could be said of the whole decor, which is set off to brilliant effect by properly used technicolor, and the music of the ballet. Much could be said on the direction of Mr. Powell and Mr. Pressburger, but right now we must be contented with repeating that the red shoes is one you must see. Uh, in, the, in 1948, the Telegraph said, A passion for the ballet is not essential to an appreciation of the Red Shoes, but it helps. This new Powell and Pressburger production is set in a world as remote from the average man as Atlantis. A world of music and dancing and enchanting color, where artists live extravagantly on their nerves, connoisseurs thrill at the Perrot, and students attack the gallery as British uh, troops storm the walls at Aja over the bodies of the fallen which is very true that that made me laugh at the at the students <laughs> trooping in to go see the ballet
1: yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> other films have given us ballet but generally as an interlude in a normal sentimental world uh Mr. Misters powell and pressburger have bravely at go- uh, have bravely at gone the whole hog from start to finish the characters live for ballet and nothing but ballet one of them dies for it a trife gorely and a a trifle gorily and unnecessarily in In 2005, Roger Ebert wrote, There is tension between two kinds of story in The Red Shoes, and that tension helps make it the most popular movie ever made about the ballet and one of the most enigmatic movies about anything. One story could be a Hollywood musical. A young ballerina falls in love with the composer of the ballet that makes her an overnight star. The other story is darker and more guarded. It involves the impresario who runs the ballet company who demands loyalty and obedience, who is enraged when the young people get married get married the motives of the ballerina and her lover are transparent but the impresario defies analysis in his dark eyes were read a fierce resentment no it is not jealousy at least not romantic jealousy nothing as simple as that Uh -uh. um on that note let's talk about the red shoes let's get some uh let's get some feelings i guess before on it before we uh dive into it uh, Diana, I feel like we talked about this movie a lot last week when we were talking about Black Narcissus. <laughs> right. um, so, but I, I, I'm curious, you know, now that now that you know we've re- rewatched it, um, any 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 feelings, any thoughts initially about the Red Shoes?
2: I don't think that uh, Lermontov's motivations are unknowable. I think that because um, I always view it as like she's torn between two worlds, which sucks. I mean, she's being told, like, you can't have a romantic private life and a and a professional life, even though your husband can, even though your your composer husband can go and do whatever the hell he wants. Um, and I think Lermontov is, like, I think of uh, when you, you mentioned that about uh, him being inspired in part by Powell and a bunch of other people, like, he is kind of like this movie director, like I almost think of him as like a Stanley Kubrick kind of like, my commitment is to the art Mm -hmm. and your commitment needs to be to it too. Like, and he's, and he's bullying and he's, um, problematic in ways obviously, but I think his, and I think his intentions are very pure. Like I want to produce the most incredible art. And when I see talent that I respect, I want you I want to help you realize that talent. And so I kind of respect him a lot more than I do Julian. Like I I get really frustrated with Julian watching this and the way that he treats Vicky because again, he is free to continue having a career as a composer, but it's just expected that after she marries him, she's just going to be his wife. Mm-hmm. And that's incredibly frustrating. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah and it, and, it's, and it seems like you know whenever he leaves the ballet company you know, it it seems like he has uh choices and he and it seems like he's doing stuff once he leaves it's not like he left and was just dropped off the the world while when she leaves with him it like she says that she's been you know practicing and keep you know it's not that she's still She's still able to do everything. She's been keeping up with it. But it's not like she's, you know, performing and and stuff. It seems like she's somewhat dropped off the world a little bit.
2: Yeah, and then she kind of, like, sneaks downstairs in the middle of the night and, like, fondles her her point shoes because she misses it so much. And that's, I mean, it's absolutely heartbreaking for her. Like, my heart just breaks for her every time I watch it because she loves this guy and she loves dancing and this is a world that's telling her you can't have both of these things. So yeah. yeah.
1: Ugh.
0: <laughs> Andrea, what about you? What did you think of the red shoes?
1: So this was my first time watching it. um, And I, I loved it. I feel like this is like a trend. Last time I was here, I talked about Suspiria. So like next time we'll get another ballet movie. I'll just, you know, be on. Well,
0: I, I was, I was, I was also thinking. I was also thinking. Yeah, you only talk about very colorful movies. You've talked yeah. about Umbrellas of Cherbourg, Suspiria, oh yes, and Red Shoes right. on this podcast. Whenever we have colors, we'll bring you on. Don't worry.
1: All right. Um, yeah. No. And the colors in this movie are beautiful. Um, I like, uh, like Diana said, I was really moved by, kind of that that you that like you have to choose right that the notion that you have to choose between two things you love um it's you know it's something that i think as as you know crappy as it is and we want to say that we're beyond that i think that's something that we still have you know to struggle with as women that we're expected to um choose between our careers and um and you know pursuing a romantic relationship sometimes and um so i think that part and i think honestly like a lot of the movie really does hold up when i think about uh, you know i grew up in the performing arts and when i think about when i watch this movie i i see uh, you know rehearsals that i had growing up that are just like that um you know, and so I think the movie really holds up, I think it's beautifully shot, I just love, I love those, um, flush images of the camera just being filled with, um, with Vicky's, like, beautiful face and her makeup, um, when she's in costume, and you can, you can tell right away how inspired Darren Aronofsky was, um, by, just simply from, like, her eyes, um, obviously like the the notion of um even even some of like the dress that that Vicky wears these like beautiful wrapped gowns which are very similar to the ones that Natalie Portman wears um in Black Swan and so like you see how these movies parallel each other um which I think means how you know how relatable in a way they still are um and I was also really drawn to the ballet itself um as you were saying in your description, I I honestly walked into this movie like I didn't want to know anything about it. I just knew that it was a movie about ballet, um, and I immediately got the Rite of Spring from it because um, it's Stravinsky's like one of my favorite composers, and um, just the just seeing that um, when 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 Stravinsky's Rite of Spring was first put on, it caused a riot in the auditorium, because it was so shocking to see dancers in a contemporary style. And to, then to see that, this was only about 30, 30 years after Stravinsky put on the Rite of Spring. And so to see that in film and in color and then kind of taken to this, um, you know, playing off of this Hans Christian Andersen um fairy tale, I think is really daring and I think it's beautiful and I, I I really, really enjoyed it. I thought it was really beautiful.
0: Yeah. Um this is this is my first time watching the Red Shoes also. It's been one of those that's been on the list of yeah, uh, Like kind of seminal iconic movies that I you know I I, I definitely want to get to. Uh Diana, last week we talked a little bit when we were talking about Black Narcissus, how there's kind of this fairy tale-ish quality to this and that seems very obvious in the red shoes because you know you have the Hans Christian Andersen fairy tale aspect to it but i i definitely agree with the point that you were making where a lot of this movie seems um it kind of it, it kind of is like what we talked about last week with Black Narcissus where it 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 feels like a like a real location it feels like real people it feels like stuff that seems based in reality but it also seems like it kind of like there's like a filter in front of it that makes it seem right. dreamy and unrealistic almost mm-hmm. it uh, mm-hmm. the way that the light is draped in in in, in, sequ- in scenes is just so so specifically perfect that like black narcissus it just it it, it 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 seems out of place but at the same time it seems so so perfectly placed it seems so beautiful and you don't really mind that it that you're like it probably you know it, it just looks so perfect all the time it's it, it, like you give you just you're fine with that it's it's okay because it it's just it's this movie is just so draped with with uh pageantry and color and and just just kind of magical aura that you you it's it's like the best of what movies can be because you're just you're just kind of consumed and drowning in this in this in this kind of you know magical you know this perfect magical realism
1: yeah it draws you in it draws you in entirely yeah and it
2: and as far as uh hans christian Andersen adaptations go i mean it's very loosely based on that story but it's certainly more authentic to anderson than Disney's The Little Mermaid or the, I mean,
1: or the Cinderella story. It's,
2: yeah, it's very authentic to the brutality of fairy tales. Like you know, that ending is just horrifying, but that's the only ending this movie could have. <laughs> so,
0: yeah. Um the, the the first point I wanted to talk about uh, when looking at the movie is let, uh, let's talk about Morris Shear's uh, as as victoria page the lead character in this uh i was really taken with her compared to you have deborah kerr who's the kind of the main female character in colonel blimp and black narcissus and then you have kim hunter in in a matter of life and death out of the ones we've talked about so far and we talked a lot about deborah kerr and in the kind of characters and and act and kind of the the acting from those main characters especially her and kathleen byron but so. More sheer really impressed me. One, I I loved that she had this. I love the innocence in her face that she yes. had. uh yes. she just has this this very jovial um you know warmth to know. her like, yeah, yeah open yeah. That's a good yeah open warmth to her that immediately draws you in but at the same time she's very intense. Whenever you're watching the the, the red shoes or especially the, perform- the 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 performance that she has where she kind of uh, you know Boris kind of sees you know quote sees her for the first time when he sees her actually like performing yes uh, she just yes. has this and in- she has this intensity so even though she has this warm open personality at the same time she it's not like she slacks whenever she's doing she, whenever she's dancing she still has this this driven focus to her I mean what, what did you guys think of her performance
1: I mean that's how I feel like that is such a It was like such a perfect casting in that sense because she could really show the passion that she clearly has for her art through her body language, her face, the way that like I've talked about her eyes, but like the way that her eyes show when we when we see those close ups of her face. Um shows the difference of when she's on stage and when she's off stage, and how it's two it's two different Vicky's in a way in like enclosed in one woman, and um, I thought she was I I loved her in this I I agree I think she has this aura of innocence but she also knows what she loves she knows that she loves this man and she knows that she loves this her art and um and i think she she just does such a fabulous job um portraying both of those roles and the kind of turmoil um that's within her but always keeping this because she is she does come from an aristocratic family we see her wearing you know speaking of fairy tales she wears crowns. She wears gowns and tiaras and dripped in pearls and diamonds. And so, you know, she keeps it all under this guise of being this aristocratic woman, but she wants to have these other lives. And I think we can see that complicated nature through her, through her acting.
2: I agree with all of that. I mean, yeah,
1: for her to have
2: been a ballet dancer and to have and to be so uh, not just warm and open but just natural mm-hmm. in front of the camera like she's so appealing because she just seems so warm and human. like she's without sacrificing or compromising any of like the intensity of her of her dancing sequences. Mm-hmm. like she's absolutely extraordinary in this. like she's,
1: she's very so, genuine. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. What did what did you all think of uh, Anton Woolbrooks Brooks' uh, performance as as this kind of as the impresario, as the as this kind of you know gatekeeper to this world <laughs> that he thinks that she needs to be in, you know, the world of ballet. Uh, it's it you know I I really enjoyed his performance in in Colonel Blimp, and it was nice to see him kind of come back and just. The the intensity, you, I, I talked about the intensity by Maura Shear, but the intensity in his face in a, in, in a lot of sequences is just so, is so overpowering. The thing that you think about him after watching Colonel Blimp is, is that the, the, the kind of soliloquy uh, monologue that he gives late in the movie before, as he's trying to return to London after uh, escaping Nazi Germany, and he kind of has it it seems like he keeps that intensity but throughout the entire movie because yeah he it's not that he's i don't know it's not that he's necessarily a a rude or a bad person he's just a very he's a very driven very focused person and that kind of yeah Yeah. and that and that just kind of shuts him off to everything else um but yeah what did you guys think of his performance
2: I love his performance in this and I, I do just kind of love like again it's just like I feel like he's his commitment is to the art it's to the ballet like I'm going to make the best ballet ever and he does things that are questionable and inappropriate I mean he he is bullying and controlling but In his in his mind, the the ends justify the means. Like I mean, like I you know, I I just thought there was something so, um, almost kind of pure about how focused he was on wanting to make the most perfect ballet. And also, he's just fascinating to watch in this. I and mean, I love that scene where he's in the room with the mirror and his fancy bathrobes and everything. Mm-hmm. Like he's just. <laughs> He's also just very compelling to watch. (laughs) (laughs)
0: He's so decadent in this movie. Like, I I love... And he's just
2: so, like... Dial it up to like eleven. He's so intense
0: right? in this movie. I loved how I loved in, like late in the movie when she's coming back to Paris or Monte Carlo or wherever after marrying Julian, and he and he meets her on the train and she yes. doesn't realize that he's gonna be there. And the way he just kind of strolls up to the train, <laughs> and enters, and like his glasses and his hat and his cane, like he he like just the the confidence that he exudes is so uh, is just so like like i was i was just like yeah you can come in i i i I don't know what to do here like you're just way more confident than i am right now (laughs)
1: he's like a he's like an actually competent bond villain (laughs) he's just like very classy um very well dressed well coiffed. um i think that he like if we if you if this weren't a great movie his role or his yeah his role or his part would be simplified to that of this like very cut and dry villain right he's the guy who's keeping the two lovebirds apart from each other kind of thing and so we would you know he would essentially all he needs is like a top hat a monocle and like a twirly mustache right um because he already has like the uh like the the Demeter and stuff but because he is not such a cut and dry villain we have to ask ourselves like well is what he is what he is doing is it wrong um he is doing it he's has sacrificed everything for his art and committed his entire life to his art and progressing his art form so like can we fault him for that um i don't think we can that's a choice that he has made i think where we can fault him is that he is then making the choice for vicky and he's he made he tried to make that choice for irina at the beginning and she um she had other plans and then when when those when his plans for others are disrupted then that is what then he he cannot he cannot have that in his life right and so um he cuts off these you know incredibly successful women that he says he helped to create as if they are like codependent on each other as if he cannot perform his art without having a a muse of sorts perhaps but to but to like uh an extreme extent like this person isn't just inspiring your art this person is like the clay that becomes the you know the statue and so it's like you you put all your chips on this other person and so i i think that he portrayed that character extremely well um and i think it makes for a much more complicated story because we can't just say oh he's the bad guy because you know it makes us kind of think about that more
0: definitely uh, let's that's a good transition to kind of the next point i wanted to talk about is is the, the you know the art that comes out of his his intensity and that's really this the 15 minute sequence that is the ballet of the red shoes in the movie um, and i was telling diana before we started recording that that kind of it, it, even though it, it 100% works. It kind of takes you out and goes into this other movie. It's so otherworldly whenever the the actual ballet starts and they just and you go through the entire thing. Um, I think that that's kind of the the, the the defining, you know, sequence whenever anybody really talks about this movie. What did what did you what was your takeaway? what did what did, what were you able to grasp? i, I it, it was one that I was definitely blown away by, but at the same time, I'm gonna need to watch this like fifty more times to feel like I can even a little bit like a quarter of the way grasp the, you know just uh, just pure amazingness of of that sequence.
1: Uh, yeah, go ahead.
2: <laughs> I'm just blown away by it. I mean, I just love to, I mean, I grew up taking dance, modern dance, not ballet. I can't even, I can't even hack ballet. It's so, it's so difficult. Um, but this was just, um, it's just astonishing to watch. I mean, uh, I don't really have any other comment than that. Like that whole sequence is mind blowing. <laughs> like,
1: yeah, and yeah it's, it's really, that's stunning. what I was like. like was... At the
2: time, like there was absolutely Nothing like that that had ever been done.
1: And there really hasn't been anything since. That's exactly what I was going to say, is that I like I can't imagine a movie today having a 15 minute ballet or any kind of like artistic sequence like that without any kind of, you know, all we know is that, OK, now they're going to go on stage and then it kind of takes you away. And then we're going to go back to the movie like our plot. You know, I can't imagine something like that today. I think people would be like, what what is going on? And so um it that makes it, I feel, even more enchanting that we we stuck with it, right? Our minds are like, okay, this is something different. We're now watching a performance. Um and the performance is stunning. The score is just absolutely outstanding. Oh my gosh, I love this so much. Um, like I said, I I, I love the Rite of Spring so much, and I've never had a chance to see um it performed just uh, as an orchestral version. Um, but I've seen um I don't know if anyone if either of you saw the documentary Pina that came out a few years ago yeah which is just out of this world good um and so they do um she she had some beautiful choreography for the rite of spring and it's so um it's almost reminiscent of this rawness and this emotion and this sense of desperation um and out of control nature that comes through in that scene and um and i think it's so it's so stunning to watch that in a movie where, okay, you know that it's a ballet movie, but now you know, like, no, 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 this is really is a ballet movie. We're about to watch the ballet happen. Um, so it really kind of taps into something that you don't really expect, which I think is so refreshing. And like I said, I don't think we have seen something like this since, frankly.
0: No, no, I, no, I, I definitely agree. And it goes into so many different areas. I I, I was just really taken back and it, it was one of those moments where you're just like almost leaning closer to the TV. You're just sucked in whenever she goes to the, like kind of, I think they, they classified it as like the nether world, but kind of the hell area where there's like these kind of, where these, the, the, the disfigured, uh, you know, figures moving around and she's kind of being thrust around and then she's lifted up. And I, it's, it's, it's so cool because it's, they, they have it so dark and then they have these kind of lit circles of these, you know, mobs of, of people all put together kind of, you know, crawling toward her. And they, they at first they're kind of showing it as, as more of a wide shot and then they go into a more PO, POV mm-hmm. where they cut back and forth between these two different mobs of of, of figures coming toward her. And it's a really, it, 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 it once again verifies that that whole... I feel like kind of cinephile cliche where it's almost much more effective and, and and scary and 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 more harrowing to have uh you know a something much more you know tangible. Some you know I, I liked having you you knew that these were that these are actors that these are that these figures are not something you know that was that was you know generated by a computer there was something about having them actually there mm-hmm. you know moving around and, and doing it in a much more artistic sense rather than having you know today having some computer animated you know something to to evoke more uh fear you know in that sequence i think that having these having the actors there and kind of watching them writhe and move their bodies was it was much more terrifying it was much more heightened and it made the the sequence much more effective in my opinion
2: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. agreed yeah
0: but i feel like that's just a that's a that's a uh <laughs> gone and dead point like yeah we don't we should we should have people you know f- being more physical in movies <laughs> rather than uh Just just putting computers (laughs) on it. Sorry i I, i've watched the i've watched the new Avengers trailer too many times or like like two or three times already and I've been grumbling at the CGI in that.
1: (laughs) I yeah I just think um part of that I think like my my favorite part of that ballet scene aside from like that um, the masked like evil creatures dancing around her um, is the part that she dances through this kind of like a room of of cellophane and um and the filters are just falling all around her and it makes it like it's like a transitionary point but it's so beautiful because of the way it's shot the colors her against it she's wearing this like very angelic like white tutu and these Shockingly red shoes. It's just the composition is so beautiful that um you know you can look there is so many parts in that ballet and you can pick out just scenes from each of the different like kind of rooms or sceneries that she's in and you can find these really unique beautiful moments in each one.
0: Yeah, it's it's I mean this is an uh, an easy comparison because I think that you have the orchestral music slash you know. Kind of ballet moments in this, but a lot of the 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 kind of sequences in the actual ballet reminded me of, you know, stuff in Disney's Fantasia. Just not be not just because of the like I said the comparison between those two things, but it, it also just visually, it like the the sequences in the Red Shoes seemed almost like something out of, like, an animated still, like, there was something there was something mm-hmm. animated about it, it like, it, it seemed, again going back to that that dreamlike, uh, you know, lack of reality quality that we've noticed, especially from the last two movies of Powell and Pressburger it it, it just kind of it, like, that's kind of what transcended it for me, was that it it, it seemed like I, uh, uh, it seemed like something from an animated movie, it seemed so fluid, it seemed like the, the motion of it, especially with how the set was designed, how it was so jagged and, and uh, you know, expressionist. It, it just seemed like like it was just this live action uh, animation and not the, the Disney version.
2: Yeah. I mean, you could freeze any still from the movie and it would be a perfect, beautiful shot.
0: Yeah, like, yeah. It's and just you can.
2: That it's that gorgeous, <laughs> like definitely. And, expre- and the expressionist, the German expressionist. Yeah, absolutely. It's got like a a harsh kind of edge underneath it, which it is does.
0: cool. Yeah. <laughs> um, as we kind of as we kind of wind down, any any closing thoughts on the red shoes? Any any takeaways you'd like people, especially people who haven't seen the movie, that they should kind of uh, go away with?
2: Hmm. If you have seen Black Swan and you like uh, ballet movies and you want to see something even, I mean, Black Swan is awesome, but if you want to see something even more awesome,
1: <laughs> you should watch The Red Shoes. Yeah, The Red Shoes is a little bit less unnerving <laughs> than Black Swan. <laughs> so if you don't want to, like, stay up just thinking about, like, Well, what does it all mean? Um, I would say definitely the red shoes. I think um, I think also you have to, if you want to see the red shoes, I think you have to already have an appreciation for, um, for classic cinema. I know that sounds kind of weird, but like it's a it's it's it has like a really modern feel in a way, but it's um, but it's so I feel like it's such a basis for so many performance art films that we have seen through the years so um you know I think about all the all the movies that talk about like the behind the scenes of Hollywood or even things like a chorus line and you know you see the different parts of a Broadway show things like that so if you're interested in that like behind the scenes look and then this is like we said it's this fairy tale style so it's kind of this enchanting tale of like what what goes on behind the scenes. I think it's I think it's a beautiful, really fascinating movie that is definitely worth a watch.
2: And also a very contemporary kind of take on a sadly still a contemporary take on a a woman having to choose between Exactly. having a private life and having a professional life.
1: Exactly. Yeah, which I think is revolutionary that this came out when it did and that message still resonates and very clearly. So, so I think it's, you know, it's important to mention that. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Sadly, it's it's still, (laughs) it's it's kind of a fort, unfortunate. (sighs) Um, I think we talked about a little bit, but, uh, I mean, did you, were you, did you guys buy the, the kind of love story in this? Did you, was that, did you, you know, were you invested in it? Did you think it was a little rushed?
2: Meh. Oh, I wasn't, I was in the, in the beginning scenes, certainly. And then I got, and I think that's why I got so frustrated with him. Because I did think their initial kind of romantic scenes when they're in the carriage and riding along on the, you know, by the water. I liked all of that. Um, but then I just felt like he just wanted to go have his career and have his wife waiting at home for him. And then I just got pissed off
1: at him. <laughs> so. Yeah. I actually thought that Julian, I would just thought he was just like boring. <laughs> like I, you know, he's just like a boring, like shell character of a human. Kind of
2: like just go back to the ballet. Like Lermontov is like interesting and committed to art, like you are. So why don't you? Yeah. Ask?
1: So at least, and then you can go find someone who's like just as passionate about it, and like it doesn't have to be Lermontov. He's like older and kind of like creepy obsessed, but like you know, find. But he's someone also else. super
0: dapper so
1: yeah but like (laughs) that's you know that's not like the make or break point
2: (laughs) like does
1: he look good in his tux i don't know um but yeah i just found him to be i was just like oh girl you know like this is this is the guy yeah i think that he was i i don't know and i think the way that they like he like how they, like, fell out of love or how he was, like, so willing to just be like, well, I guess I'll leave you here. I'm just like, what? You guys had this whole thing. You guys, like, you broke everything off. Like, you ran off by yourselves and now, like, this one thing is going to ruin everything? Clearly, this was not meant to be then.
0: Um, all right. Well, the the red shoes, I, I I. I you know, second and third, what, what they said, I think that you should definitely, definitely, definitely check this one out. I was really... I'm kind of four for four so far with the four Powell and Pressburger movies that we've watched, but this is definitely up there. Um, And you can catch it on Filmstruck or or at your local library. Uh, But that'll wrap this episode of Cinematary. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Cinematary, on Twitter at handle at Cinematary, and on Letterboxd at letterboxcom slash Cinematary where we post all of the movies that we talked about in this episode. We will be continuing our series on The Archers next week. Uh, We're going to be splitting them up now. The next two weeks, we're going to be talking about a, uh, you know, movies, uh, one movie directed by Pressburger and one movie directed by Powell. After uh, and the the first one, I believe, is by Pressburger, and that is 1953's Twice Upon a Time. Uh, So I think it's going to be kind of interesting. We've watched, I feel like, a lot of the hits of their of their partnership, and now we will see a little bit of them, you know, broken off. But yeah, until then, thank you guys for listening. We will see you next week.